You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Andrew, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Great to have you on the show today. Thank you. It's an honor and privilege. Good to be here today. Four bullet points you gave me prior to this conversation that I'd like to open with, and they were the following. The the question was, what do you feel are the biggest lessons from your story that can help others most? The first was renew continuously. Second, work from a place of rest. Third, radically eliminate hurry from your life and serve with everything you've got. Wow. I was taking notes on that. I wish you could repeat those because I was thinking, I surely I didn't write that. Hey, can you say it one more time? I want to write it down. I have a lot to learn. Yes, I have a lot to learn as we share together today. So I'm sure that, sure that uh, some things will be said that I need to apply. Things that I say myself that I think, ah, you're talking to yourself, Andrew. Oh, I get so, that. So yes, this is, this is a joy to be with you. It is one of those times when I get to reflect on how I know that faith fuels me. But when I think of that, when I think of the statement, faith fuels me, I, you know, and I'm going to share this, and I think it comes across a little differently and often perceived. And this is a quote I'm about to read to us all. Now, faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. So that's that's taken from you know the old manuscript we call Hebrews. And that's the mark of eleven verse one. Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It's the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. And I know that as I'm a builder, a connector, one that that manifests what needs to happen. That's fueled by my faith. And that's my faith that God is a good God. And he has crafted us as masterpieces to serve those around us that are also masterpieces. They may not realize it. Mm-hmm. They mean it may need us to find the gold and pull the gold out of them and show it to them and say, look, you are a work of art. And that is how we can move forward in relationships rather than transactions into partnerships, rather than just agreements into collaborations, rather than just one more interaction. Mm, Going deeper and deeper. Yes. When did you get the revelation that you were a connector? Oh, I think I was affirmed by my parents as a child. Mm. (laughs) That that was who I was. That that was just how I worked, because it's, you know, favor— all seemed to be a cloud over me. So it was that thing of realizing, okay, make those introductions, make those connections happen. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a thing I've just, I really have always known and, and worked to steward because it's something of knowing it, but then of actually stewarding it so it's used wisely. Let's talk about your time as a child. Now, were your parents missionaries, Andrew? No, actually. and And they were rather traditional you know, religious folks that attended until their late 30s. They attended a local congregation. It was just the thing that 
they were convicted to do. And in their late 30s, they had a radical encounter at home and realized, wow, there's more to more to this God stuff than just the traditions they were adhering to. They didn't know what to call it. They were just at home and had this, you know, this experience. They went to their pastor and said, look, this happened to us at home. Well, what is this? He said, I don't know. I'll pray about it and I'll let you know. And it had something very similar happened to him. Wow. As he was praying about, you know, what is this thing that happened to to these two people? Mm-hmm. And my parent, my dad was, you know, with Liberty Mutual Insurance. He was transferred just a couple of months later to home office in Boston. And I was born unexpected. You know, my my siblings were 10, 12, and 14 years old when I came along and they they immediately, my parents, you know, said, well, you're just one of the gifts of the spirit, <laughs> you know, because they had had the spiritual experience and then unexpectedly had a child <laughs> in their old age. You know, now I think of it, it's like, that's, that's not old age, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, 37 years old, but sure to have a child, it is older. It's older. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> right. You know, growing up being told you're one of the, you're a gift from God by People who were just, you know, radically rocked in a personal experience at home, not some type of of service or liturgy or or any other type of organized event. They were just at home. What was it that occurred? They didn't know that it was anything other than, you know, God manifesting. And they didn't know where to go to church when they moved to Boston. They didn't know what to do because they had never encountered anything. It was so alive and out of the structured norm, even though they had attended the congregations. So they they asked around. They ended up in a uh, 1700s barn in a charismatic Catholic Bible study week after week during their time in Boston. It was a group that had had experiences with with God outside of traditional church uh, structures. And they've continued growing and, you know, they, they thought, oh no, we got to sell everything we have and give our lives to, to whatever this next season looks like. And that wasn't right either. That was just the emotional reaction, you know, the, the physical reaction to it. So no, they weren't missionaries, but they were, they were drawn into more, a hunger for more, that more Lord cry is what I've grown up with. And then it's been fueled by people that have, that have been the fertilizer of my soil to, you know, from an, an old book called Forever Ruined for the Ordinary. I think it was, it was written by a lady named Joy Dawson. And she, when she wrote it, I think she was close to 80 years old. But Forever Ruined for the Ordinary and Hungry for More has got to be our cry. Otherwise, you know, saying renew yourself constantly. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, does that mean take a shower every day? You know, just mm-hmm. getting, you know, it's, it's a foreign concept. Some of these words that we say. It's it takes such a guided, intentional approach that doesn't come from a gathering in a in a building with a a steeple, probably. I remember years ago when I was driving a thousand to fifteen hundred miles a week, cold calling businesses, and I can tell you at least weekly, I would have this overwhelming sense of my being able to fly, but all I could really do was walk. But inside of me, I have a sense that I can fly and there's way more in this experience called Christianity than what I'm experiencing right now. Yes, there is so much more. There's so much that is not explainable 
Because, hey, you say spirit. Anyone, when they hear the word spirit, they think, okay, invisible, no form or shape. Well, we're talking about a spiritual experience. So that means no form, no shape, no easy way to describe it. And that means if so much of what we're flowing through is an alignment of our spirit with God's, alignment of our mind, Christ, then the things that we're going to do will be somewhat undescribable and unfathomable to some and thinking that's just, you know, I don't get it. How does one get into that so-called thin place where they're being led by the Spirit and they're just, they're basically walking in partnership with the Lord? And it's a free-flowing type of experience because it sounds like you experience that and have. It's one of those things where I must say I was searching for it for a number of years and begging for a free gift, saying, you know, God, give this to me, give me this, and realized you don't beg for a free gift. And it was in the in a surrendered state of, okay, I know it's going to happen. I'm just going to keep being intentionally hungry for more and with expectancy, because if there's not a consciousness of expectation, you know, if you're waiting on someone to arrive and thinking, I'm going to run to the door because I know they're coming any minute, you're probably going to encounter them mm. because you're expecting them. But if you sit there with music blaring and chaos going on, even though they're, they're going to arrive, you may not catch them when they come. And when they come, they may knock and knock and knock and ring the doorbell and call you and you may not catch it. You may not have that encounter with the person you're waiting for. That speaks to a removal of distractions and a stripping it does, but it's not just the distractions of noise. It's the distractions of the heart. You can be calm and quiet and still miss it totally. It takes a healing of the heart and a readiness. So someone listening is probably thinking, okay, I know how to remove distractions. How do I get my heart in a position to be expectant now? Yeah, and I so don't want to come across as there is a formula because there's not. There's not a, a one fix. Let's do this. And by 930 every morning, you're going to be in that thin space of, you know, yeah. because it's, we serve an infinite father and so many different, and that's part of the adventure of it. So many different uh, manifestations of his presence and the presence that he gives us as well. So wouldn't it start with really just asking the Lord to reveal what he wants to show us about our heart? Absolutely. And in the same way in our, our business life, our family life, asking to reveal, you know, that, that we have eyes to see and then, then align ourselves with his vision, his purposes in each of those areas. A lot of people struggle, myself included at times, with the statement, Lord, what do you want me to know? And then hearing that response, but then other times not hearing anything. What's your experience with right. respect to asking the Lord for that kind of direction? You know, asking, you have to be vulnerable to hear and to hear what you don't want to hear sometimes. Do you have an example? Oh, absolutely. To, to be told, you know, just to, to ask what needs to, to change for, for this to happen. And it'd be a hard issue of my own, a, an area of my life that I needed to change, a relationship that I needed to reconcile that wasn't easy. In those times of asking questions of God and waiting for a response— but also sometimes of not getting a response, but still the next time being willing to ask and wait. You know, I relate it to a radio frequency. That station may be at 911, 
on the radio, it's there, but sometimes we're at 91.2, thinking we're at 91.1, and that frequency is coming through. We're just not tuned in right to hear it. So yes, asking and surrendering to hear it and waiting until we actually get in tune to, to understand and know what to do and then the right timing to actually do that. And doing that from, from that place of rest that you had mentioned earlier, we can't make this a work, a striving exercise. I've spent years pushing rocks uphill and then started to recognize that all that grinding, all that did was wear me out. And the more I've released, and I know this is something you've most definitely experienced, the more I've released those efforts into the Lord's hands and asked him to help me and really just turn my palms up, the more powerfully things tend to happen without my grinding. Does that make sense? It does. It really does. Because we it's not us that is accomplishing. And keeping that in mind when that's quite counterculture. It's if you do it this way and this way, you will accomplish, you'll succeed. Versus it's not us accomplishing. It is us stewarding life, the life that we've been given, for him to accomplish his purposes through us, through the giftings he's given us, through the relationships he's put in our path, mm-hmm. through all that is in his design, in the people that we get to serve. How would you counsel somebody, Andrew, who really desires to stop grinding and move into that space of rest where they're in partnership with the Lord? My first thought with that is to restore the soul. I say that that's that's the we can only prosper as our soul prospers. We can only be as pro, we can only produce as our soul is productive. So we can't reach that until we're we're healed. We're at a place of wholeness, not just the body that needs a great amount of sleep every day or our, you know the nutrition that's required and getting up and exercising. Sure, those three things are are vital. But if our soul is not in balance with that, then the rest really is a, it's a quite a weighted scale that's mm-hmm. in imbalance. So back to the core question would be to seek out inner healing, whether that's, you know, if you're listening from the UK and you go to LL Ministries or LL, E-L-L-E-L, or if you're in the US and you find something, you know, or RTF, restoring the foundations, things like that. To go back and do some some quite intense, but restoration of the damages that have occurred to our soul so that we can actually surrender instead of strive. Really moving away from an orphan mentality, isn't it? It is. And that's that's not something that, that can be done easily to live as a son or a daughter compared to the orphan, as you preference there. That's that identity that goes deep mm-hmm. into our soul. How does one radically eliminate hurry from their life? What practices have you or disciplines have you put into your day-to-day that helps you do that? One of the key things for me is meditation. And I'm puzzled by that as I hear myself say it, thinking, okay, I've spent a lifetime, close to 50 years now, of thinking I need to meditate. And I thought that that was something different than it is. John Eldridge, author of a book called Wild at Heart, among other books, has a simple app called the One Minute Pause. And it's a very simple tool that you can add to your phone and 
at first it was working through one minute, five minute sessions, but then to move into multiple 10 minute sessions in a day to where I may turn the, the vocal aspects or the music aspects of it off. And it serves just as a timer mm-hmm. for me. But that's, that's one aspect of just giving up time of saying, you know, sure, I had that on the schedule, but I can cancel that. I need to flow with what needs to happen. I can reschedule something. I'm the one in control of my schedule. Schedule doesn't control me. If my daughter needs me, stop, listen, let them know, hey, I'm going to miss that call or I'm, I'm sorry, I'm late to the call. We're actually going to reschedule because some other something else happened. Yeah. We're the ones managing our time. We're the ones managing our relationships as we steward the, these great gifts we have and letting things come to life, bringing things to life through our schedule or free-flowing schedule. It really shifts the mindset from a victim to someone who's in control with respect to that scheduling. And it may sound counterintuitive based on what you just said, because you're being loose with respect to your schedule and having to cancel stuff so you're not, quote, in control. But the reality is, from what I've seen, when we act as victims, then we're just getting pummeled by our schedule instead of stopping, like you said, and say, you know what? I'm going to cancel this. I have a higher priority here I'm going to focus on, right? Right. Who is who is reigning? Who sits in the throne? If you're picturing it from a king perspective, Mm -hmm. who's holding the scepter? Who is wearing that robe in your life? Who is sitting in the chair calling the shots? And you know, no, I skipped that meeting. You'll reschedule with me. You know, in in your mind, not in how you communicate to that person. Because the prince, the queen, this citizen of my kingdom or my fellow citizen needed me. You know, which would be better to stop someone who's in pain and help someone who's in pain? Or to go to a meeting where everyone gets to say, okay, we were all in that Zoom together. I think that they could all understand that, nope, you stopped to help someone in pain, even though you don't have to tell them the level of pain, the situation that you were helping with, or even that you even had to help someone. So, you know, something prevented me, period. You don't need any glory out of me either. Right. But having that posture of reigning, you know, reigning from a, from a throne of power that we're the ones who have the ability to take another step, another breath, to speak the word of life, the word of hope, the word of gratitude into someone else's existence, and to speak new structures, new collaborations, partnership, new ideas, inventions, solutions. That speaks to the fourth point of life lessons and helping others. It's serve with everything you've got. Let's talk about that. Yeah. You said serve with everything I've got. I think in pictures. I think a lot of us do. Mm-hmm. And as we awaken, I I went to a tennis analogy. I played tennis as a kid, teenager, and every now and then in college, and I, I think of a serve. You're not going to get that tennis ball over the net if you don't hit it with power, strength, and the aim to where you want it to land across the net. Serve with everything you've got. It's got to be so intentional in a relationship what does the other person hate doing? We'll do it for them. If it's just at home and you realize no one else will do the dishes, everyone hates it. No one likes to scrub that one pot that always everything cooks to the bottom. <laughs> it's not because you actually like to scrub that pot. It's because you want to serve everyone else in the house. Yeah. And you decide, okay, fine. I'm going to clean the clean the sink with a sponge, not just clean the dishes out, but I'm going to clean the sink. Even if no one says anything about it, I'm going to serve. And I'm saying this to myself again, but serving other people's businesses, 
serving other people's nonprofits, helping them reach their dreams, listening. I think the biggest act of service is many times. Let's shift a little here and talk about the work you're involved in. Please explain that. For a number of years, I've worked internationally, whether that be in nonprofit organizations and commercial enterprises. And so it's put me living across four continents and many countries in between and ended up marrying someone from a country other than my own. And my kids have multiple passports. With, With that, over time, I went into risk management, crisis response. And of course, when you say risk management, that means insurance in many, many people's interpretations. So after representing over 25 of the global carriers in international insurance, I was able to gather a group of people and form a disruptor in our vertical, our space of insurance. And it's called Insured Nomads, insurednomads.com. We currently, we offer an advanced tech-enabled solution pairing insurance with uh, features and benefits outside the policy that really makes it unlike anything available in global health insurance or travel insurance. How did this idea come to fruition? Seeing how global citizens needed better from the claims process to the broker portals those who represent it to their customers, to the way the products are built, having to realize, okay, we can re-engineer, redesign this. Because most people are buying something they feel like they're not going to use. They don't feel like they're going to get sick or injured. And they feel like if they do, it's going to be difficult. So building in that functionality for where technology, there's a button to hit in your phone that 24 hours a day rings our one of our alarm centers where they can get the medical security, personal safety response immediately Wow! anywhere in the world. And that may mean actually boots on the ground, getting them to safety, to you know, an airport lounge to rest in when they're traveling. That's, that's something that many people look up in those airports and think, man, I wish I could sit up there. Those chairs look great for that three-hour three hour unexpected wait in an airport somewhere. So it's you know the unlimited mental health and telemedicine, and I could just go on, but it's it's realizing that more is possible, and then building that in in a in an advanced tech bundle, mm-hmm. and then providing the service that's needed because it doesn't matter if this is a service where we've productized, and so serving people in the ways that they're accustomed to. People don't pick up the phone these days. They, they want to text, they want to WhatsApp, they want to send it through Telegram, whatever their method is to get the service they need. And that's, they want to screen share and, and get their question answered versus something more analog and fax machine style that our industry has been so delayed in developing. Sounds like a real true health concierge approach. Yes, that's, that's the desire behind it because it's, you know, when you're outside your home country, whether you're going from Oman to Spain or from Japan to the U.S., you encounter a system you're not accustomed to. So you need you need a white glove guide, mm-hmm. someone to point the way and, and not just point the way, but make sure everything is still good. So has there been kind of a magnetism to this with a lot of your market? There has, uh, because, you know, when you're represented usually by benefits brokers, insurance brokers, and intermediaries. We've entered a space that most of the products are identical. They're medical only, Mm -hmm. just with a a different logo on the cover of the brochure. 
So the brokerage community is ecstatic. And now with the changing face of the workforce around the world, people are ready to to work remotely, retire in Costa Rica years before they would have previously because they can keep working from there or Prague or wherever, you know, so so the market is ready and the timing is right. So this is it's been a very gratifying journey over the past few years of of taking this to market and then evolving it as as we're able to. What's been one of the greatest challenges you've faced in your walk during your life? I would say parenting is one of the greatest challenges. We have eight kids, so I get it. Eight kids, yes. So I I don't have eight kids, and I still see it as one of the challenges of life that when you can be there, when the child comes home from school and listen to their reflections, or when they come out of the hospital from a scenario and, and celebrate or grieve when that's required. I think that children are by far the biggest challenge that life has presented, but yet that's balanced by one of the greatest joys you have as well. So well said. What's one of the biggest pieces of advice that you could give others about their walk with the Lord and really just the whole integration of faith, life, everything? Be hungry for more. I, I think a lot of times we the word hunger is unknown to us when it comes to food or our spiritual appetite. So to be hungry to desire more than what we normally have and to, to develop an appetite for, for the unexpected has to be part of our journey. Because if we're hungry for the same food all the time, that's pretty boring. And boring does not awaken us. Boring puts us into a comatose state of survival. But yet a hunger, a spiritual hunger for things outside of our palate give us a an awareness and an aptitude to change and thrive. So good. As we finish up, Andrew, would you please pray for our listeners regarding that? Absolutely. Father God, holy and awesome one that loves me, loves each person listening right now with an unfathomable measure that you you care. I ask for your presence to overwhelm now and again and again. Let there be a contagiousness to the encounter that we have with you so that those who just walk by us have encounters. Those who come into the presence of our businesses, of our families, of our within our sphere of influence that come into awareness of you. And let us get a glimpse of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Andrew, I would love to have you back again if you're open to that. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. This is this is fabulous being with you, and I just encourage all those who are listening, tune in again, because there, Brian's got something going on that's so worth hearing. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate your time. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.